podcast was recorded on July 10th, 2020. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. everybody, welcome to the Sherman Show. This is our first uh, COVID Sherman Show in a new COVID world. You can see we're uh, practicing uh, social distancing, physical distancing. We're also practicing face masks, but uh, I'm going to take it off just so uh, we're all friends here and uh, we know that yep. we know you've been quarantined, so yes. we feel I, very I, good I, about I'm that. I'm deep in COVID paranoia. Yeah, so welcome to the Sherman Show. We're doing this in video format today yes. for our YouTube channel as well. Um, so for those of you listening to this, you can go to the YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com backslash double line capital, all one word. Um, you can catch this video there. So today we have none other than our returning guest, uh, Danielle DiMartino Booth. Uh, you know her well. Um, it's a former Fed official. You've also, um, you know, have Quill Intelligence. I do. Um, you continue to just crush it in interviews. So that's why we have to have you back. And I hear now that you've launched a new medium platform called Valuetainment Economics. Valuetainment Economics. We're going to call it VTE. We've got to shorten it up a little bit. but yeah. um, And it wouldn't be finance without an acronym, right? It wouldn't. You know, of right. course not. No, yeah. everything everything needs an acronym. <laughs> we, might, we might even put a dollar symbol in front of it, you know, to make it a ticker. Okay. Um, I, I did a I did a video. I did an interview with Patrick Bet David, who uh, he interviews quite a few controversial people, and also he just interviewed W, our former president. So it's full spectrum of guests. And the only reason I did the interview was because they have a studio in Dallas. And long story short, it, it went completely viral. He dug deep. He really pulled information out of me. I didn't even know it was there. He was just an extraordinarily good interviewer. And uh, 20 plus million hits worldwide later. Uh, they decided that uh, that that I should launch my own show. So yeah. this is it was a great exciting. it was a great interview too. I mean, uh, I love the intro to just the sound bites of the things that you've said. I mean, it looked amount to an act of war, right? I and mean. I mean, <laughs> it, it, on top of that, it was uh, it was almost like it was scripted. So it, it, that's what I'm saying. It was such good uh, good content. So and, and now we, and look, now we have China stepping away. Right. Believe it or not, and they're not buying anything. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, and I think you you're the one that called it too, saying that um, there was a pandemic clause in there. Shockingly. So very, one thing I forgot unusual. to do. Yes. One thing I forgot to do is introduce my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. Okay, there we know. Now you all know he's here. Here we are. Yeah, now we know he's here. So, uh, Danielle, before we jump in, we're giving market updates uh, to our clientele, just given how volatile things have been. So, Sam, do you want to kick us off with the market update since the last time we chatted? Yeah, so we'll start it off with the quarter to dates. Uh, S&P 500 up uh, just about 2% on the quarter through July 9th. Uh, the Barclays aggregate up 70 basis points. Gold pretty much flat. Uh, let's just call it 20 basis points. But uh, what's interesting is the red metal, uh, Dr. Copper, is up about 5% quarter to date. So, you know, Jeff, this is one of the indicators yeah. that we take a look at the go- uh, copper gold ratio. So that kind of, uh, you know, is yeah. hinting. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of signals to us that maybe yield should be a little bit higher here. But we know we have Fed manipulation. That's another reason oh, yeah. we have Danielle here to jump, chime in. But yeah, that is definitely an interesting relationship. Well, I mean, if you, yeah. if you consider that, that, that COVID is running rampant in South America. I mean, that alone is such a massive pull on that one yep. 
red metal. Right. That's and, right. And that's from a supply side, right? right? Constraining the supply there, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, okay, continue on. Yeah, Sam. so yeah. The, and then when we move over to WTI crude oil futures, uh, that's up about ten uh, a percent now. Uh, still down 35% on the year, however. Looking but at massively off that negative $40 per barrel right. price. Same Don't thing with that. copper. Copper's had a nice little rally back, and it actually put itself about uh, positive on a year-to-date basis. Moving the sovereigns on the 10-year uh, yield front, if we look at treasuries, uh, we're looking at about 60 basis points uh, through last night. 10-year boons down about uh, 45 basis points, or negative, I keep saying down because <laughs> I see that negative sign in front, but <laughs> negative insane. 45 basis points on the boon. And uh, JGBs, they crept up positive, so they have a plus handle in front of those two basis points. Go Corota. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 that's really uh, amazing how song. much uh, Yeah, Corota song got us uh, that yield curve control. Maybe he's losing control of that oh, uh, of that yield curve uh, from it going for all the way from oh. zero to two basis points, right? Well, I guess uh, yeah, we— Yeah, I, I still scratch my head. I'm like, people are like, the Fed's going to launch yield curve control. I'm like, what are they going to control exactly? Yeah. Well, that's so hold, that thought. Let's let's see. hold that thought. Let's hold that thought. we got to so. ask you if Powell's is taking notes on these things, yeah. but— uh, uh, in terms of spreads, moving over to credit on um, investment-grade cash bonds here. On an OAS basis, we have 145 basis points. Let's on also point out, yesterday was a seminal day in the corporate bond market on the investment-grade corporate index on a yield-to-call basis, a yield-to-worse, <laughs> oh, as they call it. Yep. Yeah. Broke the two-handle. Oh, oh, it went inside God. of 2%. So you get paid less than 2% oh. to take... Corporate credit risk in droves with new size, with these, more duration than ever. And these poor CFOs can't even buy back their shares. I know, oh, it's, sad it's delicious. Yes. Yeah, and this is on the backdrop of the massive run-up in uh, actual net, you know, gross and net issuance over the oh, last yeah. 10 years, I mean, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's a huge subject for us to discuss because yeah. the, the, the corporate sector has breached the level. Yeah. Stay tuned for the left. to see if some of, these yeah. zombies, uh, <laughs> some of these zombies can continue uh, marching around, so... Over in high yield land, it's uh, 620 basis points on the OAS and EM at uh, 375 basis points. But it's been pretty much quiet across the yeah. That 375 is key to us. That's uh, we, that's kind of been the average level for the last couple of months. Um, 350 has been hard to breach. Um, you know, 400 we haven't really widened out to there, but we have dialed down our risk a little bit on EM as of late. Oh, as yeah. you'd mentioned, the COVID, the fiscal wherewithal to be able to respond, and just the the explosion of the virus in specifically Latin America. Yeah, and they've yeah. got some debt to refinance. Yes, yeah. So that that's way. an area that's an area that we have been trimming risk, especially as as of late again going into the, end of the quarter, we we trimmed a little bit more there too. So yeah. So that's it for the market. We got some economics, you know, stuff that we can talk about, but I think we're going to hit it into this with uh, Danielle. But maybe I can kind of kick it off by say, making a, a note here that the Federal Reserve's balance sheet went under seven trillion last night. It's uh, six point nine trillion now. So they're so conservative. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Right. I mean, they want. Is it still the swap lines that's driving it? The removal of some of those swap lines, or uh, what, what actually, is that la last kind of yeah, slide so down? Kind of the uh, the spread between, um, if you look at the, the Federal Reserve balance sheet and what's been on the SOMA books as well, the portfolio holdings there, that's kind of been the, around the $700 billion differential. That's kind of maintained still. Can you imagine um, running that MBS book right now with prepayments going bananas? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember that too. Um, one of my old colleagues used to call Fannie and Freddie the biggest hedge funds in the world because they got <laughs> to borrow at agency-type rates yep. and essentially lever up their book, and they were the worst risk managers ever. Um, you know, if you looked at the, the, the P&L and the hedges swung so much yep. and it was uh, it was an example of, uh, again, it's kind of a quasi government job. But, um, 
Yeah, so uh, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, we've been we've been very cautious on the on the prepayment speeds, yeah. um, thinking they're going to be escalated. This is a uh, also where you have to discern how you buy the coupons in the stack too, because there's been a huge difference. Obviously, that moneyness has changed significantly. Oh, yeah. So um, I do also think last month is the first time uh, we actually saw uh, Fannie or Freddie issue a one and a half coupon uh, mortgage. So yeah. I know people out there are probably scratching their heads. They go to refi, they're getting three and a half, four percent kind of. Come quotes on, out there. my seventy-three-year-old yeah. mother is like in a Ginny May fund. I mean, yeah. it's her. It's yielding yeah. nothing. Right. Well, and you have prepayment risk. So unfortunately, um, if those do accelerate because of the price of those bonds, it could be challenging. So and they're, yeah. and they're, they're occurring in a vacuum because of the forbearance. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's just and there's no credit cycle. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, continue on. You got anything else to, to give us on the econ front? Um, nothing on the well, the econ front we'll probably get to it also. But, you know, just the disparities again between what we're seeing in insurance claims. Yeah. Uh, both on the state and now the federal level versus what we've been seeing in the non-farm payroll. Oh, can so. we talk? Yeah, th I think let's start there. there because I think to me this is a critical piece too. And there's probably some duplicity in the counting between the PUA, I call it PUA, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance, and the state claims. I'm, I'm going right. to push back because okay. I spent an hour yesterday on the Department of Labor's website. Sure. sure. They have a grid and there is definitely double counting when it comes to applying initial claims right initial yeah. claims. Right. but not continuing right and you're seeing massive by the way revisions in back weeks to the pua claims right so that's why you see some of these volatile numbers in the initial pua claims Correct. because it, they could have been filed three or four weeks ago but they they're but having trouble once getting to the system. you're in a pool once you've been approved and you are a claimant and collecting unemployment insurance you cannot have two feet in two different pools you, you're knocked out of one if you're getting the other. Okay. So that 32.9 million number yep. is solid. That is solid. Okay, that's what we've been we've been contending. We get a lot of pushback in there. Well, there's a ton of pushback yeah, because right. it's because it's, it's not a bullish story, right? It's well, no, problem. it's 20.7 yeah. percent of the 159 million strong U.S. workforce right. as of the size of the June workforce. Right, and actually, what I I kind of backed into, given that we have continuing claims now at 18 million, that's and the Jim traditional. And Jim Bianco came up with an even higher number. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's been throwing up about 34, 35 million, I think, on unemployment is what I, I heard from him on his webcast <laughs> yesterday. But also, um, if you look at that number, that 18 million just on the traditional claims, let's not right. count count the PUA. Uh, I still like to say PUA. I think. PUA. It's kind of like Tua, that quarterback <laughs> out there. I know, makes you want to uh, giggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little Did bit. Did he say poo? Yeah. Uh, uh, see, and it, it's, it's got to emphasize the speech. I have three boys. Come on. Okay, anyway, fair enough. Um, but anyway, um, the 18 million number is consistent with the payroll data, the non-farms jobs role of adding that because if you go to peak claims oh, yeah. and you go to peak claims, it was about 24 million on continuing. So that is consistent there. So I don't find that there's these large inconsistencies in the data set. I've heard people portray that there is double counting these programs, but it sure doesn't seem that way. And these are critical to the consumer. Oh gosh, I mean it. it I mean, you could drive a Mack truck between 11.1% and 20.7% or use Jim Bianco's bigger number. It's the, the, the disparity and, but you're right. If you back into the number, BLS said, um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that there was only a 1 million differential this time as opposed to June, as opposed to May's where there was a 5 million differential that they couldn't account right. for these PPP, um, that the people who are on payrolls but not working. And right. so they were having- And are they truly unemployed? They think they're Misclassification yeah, right. errors right. and the whole right. thing. Um, and there's a sampling error too in the NFP, but right. the response rate has been diminished significantly. It's like low 60s, where it's typically in the 80s. Is but that if you saying? look at continuing claims and then you kick in that extra million or so, you get to 11.1%. Yeah. So there, there's consistency. It's just PUA's nowhere. 
right. at the BLS. It's like right. they've got the doors barred. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that, and because it's an 18, is it 18 million alone? It's 18 million alone. That was the number that came out yesterday. And then the PUA is close to 13, I think. Around 13, 14. 13, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, because yeah. I mean, that page four is everybody's yeah. new best friend. Right. You go, you Well, I like that because it's it's not survey, it's factual data, right? right? And we know it. We know there's been a backlog, but we're three months in now, right? Yeah. So that backlog is clearing itself up. That data keeps printing every week. You get to look at it, and it's barely budging. Right. And you also, you know what I also think is fascinating? I mean, it's a rounding error number, but it was like 1,800 or so people who were getting their employers filing on their behalf uh, because they've, they've cut their hours or their income. So they get a supplementary type of unemployment insurance. Okay. There's a little line item down there. It's been really, it's now it's 327,000 or so. It's, it's part of that page four. Okay. Um, but what you're hearing and i'm looking at downtown los angeles with the deloitte and touches of the world with with all these big consultants one of our interns right now at quill intelligence he's he's got a job at oliver wyman but they've put him on hold until january um that you can tell with this kick up in claims attached to falling income mm-hmm. where this the white collar is starting to get into there yeah. right yeah and then yeah. you've got wells fargo that i think will open the floodgates with bank earnings coming, I, I think you just needed that first big bank to push through big layoffs. Right. And now and you're going to see it. It's accepted, right? Everybody yeah. gets to now do everybody's going to do it. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the, so the PUA, my understanding is that that one goes to the end of the year. So those claims December are protected 31st. now. Yes. Now what does expire is PPP, right? The Paycheck yep. Protection Program, um, the ability to go to those programs. And then again, there's no more assistance in there. The loans yep. are supposedly forgiven if you, um, if you keep your people on. Um, that goes away, right? Mm-hmm. Then we also have the $600 supplement, which is huge. I, I know you've been oh, writing about this my too. Gosh. Um, and so let's talk about the importance of that because um, I saw some chart yesterday, I think it was from one, one of the big banks, and what they put out was talking about watching income increase into a recession. We've never seen that. When the recession oh, starts, and it usually takes time if there is that transfer. I saw payment. that chart yeah. running around, yeah. and it's a huge, I mean, again, that's why the credit cycle's frozen. Yeah. We can't see what's not happening. Right. We can't see people getting evicted because they're not getting evicted. We're, we're not seeing cars getting repossessed because so it's it's this bizarre dy- dynamic where you've got subprime behaving very well yeah. at the onset of a recession. Yeah. Do you know what was one? So in the structured products area, um, when you look at all these kind of collateralized stuff out there, so it can be autos, yeah. student loans, consumer loans. One of the best performers and quickest to rebound in the ABS market was actually consumer-based product. And it wasn't just because of TALF eligibility, right. but it's just that people are looking at these short-term data sets and saying, okay, well, month over month, look at this increase in spending. There's no collapse in spending. Well, no, it's yeah. because we printed $2 trillion from Congress right. to put in people's pockets. And, and you have to bear in mind the nature of the, the consumption of the recipients. Yes. They're by nature not savers. Right. They have they have been living paycheck to paycheck for as long as they've been working, so they're accustomed to spending every dime. There's there's no savings account with this cohort of income earners. Yeah. They only have checking accounts and they blow through it all. Yeah. So spending has kicked up. Yeah, and we also uh, we had a guest on earlier this week, um, and we'll publish this next week uh, just to keep our schedule consistent. Uh, but he was talking about you know he's he's a big proponent of putting it in the lower income wages because that is at least stimulative to the economy because they are the spend it exactly right. the point you're making there. 
Um, and you look at this and you, you look at the income increase, and you look at the spending. I mean, look, I, I think we could actually get to the point where the, uh, is it the BLS that determines the recession? NBER, right? Uh, NBER, NBER, yeah. Right, so the NBER could actually say we're out of the recession at the end of June, right? Well, it could, I'm just saying when you yes, look at some of the losses. Yes, now, we yes, don't believe that. Right. You know, yeah. and we believe there could be another sheet of drop where is I, it a double dip or is it really we never yeah, really got I, through I, here? I think we're going to start to yeah. see if, if you if you studied the weeds of the producer price index. Um, Data came out today, too. Yeah, it was negative I, again. It was pretty bad. Uh, Except yeah. when you pulled out trade, trade was the big piece of it that caused negativity. However, but you know, even even if yeah. you even if you break it down across wholesale, retail and manufacturing PPI. Yeah. Margins are getting crushed. Right. I, I think we're going to start to see it in the regional Fed surveys yeah. that the the V is is going to be shallower. Right. The second yeah. the second side of the V is going to be shallower as we veer to, to into W. Yeah, all right. So. I, I think that, that, that so it's seems the industrial right. production yep. in, input to MBER that. Yeah, I'm and I, to. You're, you mentioned Jim Bianco. I just give him credit for what he's pointing out yesterday. He was looking at um, he was looking at Shake Shack actually, and he was showing how their earnings had collapsed. But also they increased prices across the board by about 11 percent because they gave their workers about a 10 percent raise. Yep. So they were helping offset that. So he was saying, watch out for things like this, because wages obviously drive inflation. We know the Phillips, yep. all that stuff. But also you can't claw back wages typically. Right. Once people start paying yep. that level, that becomes a barometer. So he, right. was, he was saying to watch that. So I found that to be interesting. Yeah, too. Margins are. Yeah. Mar mar margins are getting it in all directions. So let's talk about earnings too, right? So um, have you in your career ever seen Wall Street say, just ignore this? We're not going to look at the 12 months. We're going to look at 24 months forward earnings. Or let's look at 2022 earnings. Let's trade off those multiples, which, by the way, are still high. You know, oh, right. <laughs> Yeah, very high. But <clears throat> you what know do you what? think about the earnings season coming in? Because this is where we're going to finally start to see it. Well, you know, I, I, think, that, um, I, I think that we're going to get less clarity than we think we're going to get because of the reclosing. I, I think that companies that don't want to frighten shareholders too badly, that used COVID as an excuse for pulling guidance, are going to use the revamping and reclosing as a as a, as an excuse to push it out a quarter. Makes sense. Though. I mean, they're I gonna would like, do it. They're going to be like, well, we yeah. we still don't have any guidance because, right. I mean, that's actually fair though. They really don't have guidance. They don't. Right. They yeah. don't have guidance because because all of the bullish narratives about fatalities whether i mean i'm, I'm sorry but they're not coming to pass right your home state just had a new record three days in a row right? with debt with fatalities absolutely that new record for three consecutive days we haven't had the friday data but nope. i mean here in california this county we're leading the country in cases i think it was 120 yeah. 20 something in and California. here we are not wearing masks danielle you know we you, are you we me. are far apart and yeah. we're we're paranoid i've yeah. been sheltered in place <laughs> since february yeah. Um, I, have, I have two, but Sam Sam is definitely keeping the trend here. I was paranoid before the crisis, <laughs> Danielle, so this is me uh, during the, it. There's the old quote that says... Therapy is extra. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's the old quote that said, just because you're, you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, let, let, so looking at earnings and how that unfolds, w how do you think about it for the second half of the year? I mean, there is so much uncertainty. I, I, and we're, now we're in the most populous states where we're seeing these cases that's rise. That's exactly which are, my point. By definition of the biggest drivers of right. U.S. GDP and consumption. Exactly. I mean, you're talking about California, Texas, Florida. I mean, they those are the top four states in population. in population. New York's the other one, right? but they already had their way. Right. You know, yes, but, but they've also closed their doors. Yeah. Right. And the the the, the city of New York. The, I I watched the New York ISM really closely mm -hmm. because it's ninety seven point ninety eight point seven percent services. 
Okay. I so was there's like, I, I there's like an eyedropper full of manufacturing in that yeah. particular. And by the way, Manhattan's 8% of U.S. GDP. Mm-hmm. But it is reliant on tourists. Correct. You have to bring the tourists back, and they've just closed the borders. Right. To For, you can't go there. I can't, I can't go there. Go Wait, there. It's fourteen day quarantine. No. Nope. The only place that was doing that before was Hawaii. Yeah. I know, but now, and which you know, is obviously a tourism tourism place. It's, but but it's with good reason. Yeah. I mean, you, right. you, it's an island. It's a lot you, different than I guess and, you could you, argue Manhattan's an island. But and still, you yeah. cannot make young yeah. people rational. It's impossible. <laughs> I mean, the, the frontal lobe of a 20-year-old guy is just not, it's, it's non-existent. Yeah. So you can't make Some say a 40-year-old guy, too, as well, but anyway. Okay, so that's, okay, I'll, <laughs> okay, you said it. Um, but, but they're not mature enough to, to understand the dangers of being in a bar. They're it's driven just, by so, different things. Yeah. So, you, I mean, it, yeah. reopening them is just, look, there, there was that one guy in Seoul who hit five nightclubs in one night and infected like 132 people. So it's it's and, and that's that's going to be problematic for places like New York mm-hmm. um, that rely on tourism, that rely on commuting. I mean, yeah. we can talk about commercial real estate in a little while because yeah. that's that, there's a big red flashing light. But yeah. then you pull back into what you're talking about reclosing. Right. You got the four out of the five most populous states. No, it's 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 really scary. I mean, like Illinois is like the only standout. Great. Right. Wonderful. Yeah, um, and uh, at least they—that's the time they actually go outdoors now too, right? Because you only get like three months a year in, in, yeah. in Illinois that you can actually go outside. And you can't even—I mean, it's 102 degrees in Dallas. Yeah, people aren't dining al fresco yeah. and having a heat stroke. So, <laughs> and and there's no indoor dining. Yeah. So right. it's—and we've seen that open table data that everybody sources rolls over. It's been rolling over right. in Texas as well. Um, but um, you know, we didn't really even get to experience that here out in California. Right when we were about to open. All of a sudden, we got hit with this wave again. And well, actually, we got a lot of riots and social injustice. So, actually, let me let me bring that up because I know this is something you're very strong about about inequalities. And so, we've heard uh, Mr. Powell at the Fed mm-hmm. talking about um, in, uh, economic inequality. Yep. And, um, you know, some would say he's the culprit, or he amongst his colleagues are culprits of that. How do you think this whole thing is playing out in terms of economic inequality today? And can we solve it through these programs right now? Where, you know, this is supposed to be a, temp, a transitory program of well, these that's unemployment the benefits, right? So maybe you can expand some of the ideas you've been writing on. So I think, um, I, I think it comes down to the, the, the great, big, huge ideas of a debt jubilee and reserve currency status. Because if you push the inequality divide too far, you're going to end up with a sufficient mass of voters who want to bring in modern monetary theory, who want to have universal basic income, which by the don't way- we, Don't we already have it this we, year, at we, least? Well, I, I think $600 extra a week is is more than universal basic it's income. It's almost 50,000 a year, or 25,000 a year. And when we've you always had a social safety net. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, as Jeffrey said in the interview yesterday to me, it's, it, it's been around for 50 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just really big now. And if you, if, if you back people into a corner, then they're going to vote. They're going to vote in progressive policies that are going to double our debt and quickly. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about this weird concept called inflation that nobody's like, what's that? Right. And, and you're, you know, 30, 36% of our floating treasury debt is owned by foreigners. So we need them. Right. And um, if we start to blow up our debt, these are inconceivable things, but there can be pushback. And you're seeing South, South, you know, the South China Sea headlines. It's, 
these are huge, huge, huge subjects to talk about. But that's what happens, I think, if we start to build our debt up to such big levels that China starts to push back and they're building alliances with Russia and Iran and Saudi Arabia and and we're it's it all of a sudden you start to go well god could that cold war turn into a hot war but but I connect the dots to in the, the first dot is inequality mm -hmm. and it's what sets off this 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 chain of events so let's I mean I think we've seen it it's been a long time since I've seen kind of the social unrest that we've seen um, you know being a native Californian I remember you know riots back in the yeah. 90s I wasn't around for the the Watts riots in the 60s but seeing the the social mood change to me it's it's really predicate on the fact that there had been this pent-up demand for change but mm -hmm. as long as the economy's kind of humming along well, things are okay what, even, like, though, even though there's this divide in economic inequality we have, what 20 states had yeah. that, that increased minimum wage last year yeah. so there were little band-aids right. throughout the recovery right there's a little small and you, you get a little little bone here right you're right. throwing people a bone and and again the divide is growing and growing but it takes one of those economic malaise periods right. or a shock to the system so I'm not I'm not surprised to see the social mood change, and we saw it with yeah. voter registration. You saw the marches, and, and they're continuing. And, and, and you yeah. can't not factor in the president of the United States not wearing a mask. Right. You can't because that threw fuel onto the anger and divisiveness. Yeah. It, it, it's made the situation that much worse because COVID has been the most divisive factor since the late 60s yeah. since before we were born so it's pretty amazing to see not just economically but for the society mm -hmm. of the United States what this virus has done right and it has implications not just in the you know the sickness the mortality rates but also it has an impact on how we elect leadership too because it looks like there is a change in their way right. if you follow the polls sure. um, forget the national polls you need to focus on the key states and um, you know but you do have Biden leading this you have now that the democrats are pretty much favored to win the senate at this point obviously this can change with the voting right. booth but what is the, what are those implications too oh, i mean it's it's again what people don't realize is that Nancy Chuck and 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 Donald didn't have some getting a long moment when the debt ceiling moment came it was extended through june of 2021 right so uncle sam can spend whatever he wants past the election so if you have a sweep in theory you can pass monumental century impacting legislation in mm -hmm. this country because there's no debt ceiling yeah. it's pr i mean the implications and that's the are, path of least vast. resistance at this point absolutely. right absolutely i so mean what this does that is have not like what are those implications for like the markets too as we think about financial markets are they getting juiced because of that are they or do we is it a big risk to the market how are you thinking about quantifying it's, it's that it's so hard to wrap your head around it because the fundamental drag of covid is undeniable in bankruptcy filings they're just a constant drumbeat in the background. I'd never heard of Coex. It's a it's a coffee trading firm that's Miami-based that trades three million pounds of coffee every year. That's been in business for forty years. But I mean, I have my BCY Go function up on my Bloomberg, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I've never heard of that. But but that's my point. 
there are companies going out of business that we've never heard of, and it's a constant drumbeat. Well, there's one we heard of this week, uh, yesterday, because the trader sent it around to me. It was Brooks Brothers filing for bankruptcy because no one's buying clothes, right, with this That's new right. remote, right? Or at least of the business people. I shouldn't say no one. There's a significant reduction. But, but you know what? You bring up a good point because if you looked at the one the day before, which was the holder, the owner of Ann Taylor and Lane Bryant stores. Mm -hmm. Yeah, L Brands, yeah. Um, who he's well, got a lot of publicity with all the Epstein stuff and everything too, right? With Lexington. Yes. But anyway, yeah. But um, but if you, what people don't appreciate is that 2019 ended with non-financial debt, business debt in America at 74 percent of GDP. Mm -hmm. That was higher than the peak of the financial crisis. Yeah. Outside of recession. So I bring up Blaine Bryant and Ann Taylor because. Concurrent with the Chapter 11 filing that's going to affect 3,000 stores, they're liquidating and closing 1,200. So bankruptcy doesn't mean what it used to mean because companies are so levered up mm -hmm. that there's not enough value that they can pull out and come all the way through restructuring and maintain the same footprint, maintain the same headcount. So it truly is a restructuring and, and starting over at significantly smaller size. That, right. That's what you're implying. There. And that yeah. has macroeconomic weight that is going to offset what you're talking about, which is what can Jay Powell do mm -hmm. if we blow the debt up and if he agrees to monetize every last penny, just outright forthright. I mean, he's already yeah. pissed all over, excuse my French, the Federal Reserve Act of yeah. 1913. Well, yeah, so, I, I, that's on our list to talk about too. So, but. I mean, it's not a it's not a stretch. I mean, he's, he's, he's gonna buy equities here and about, you know, all you need is a 10% correction and mm -hmm. they're gonna, yeah. it's, it's in the, fine print of the BlackRock agreement that equities are in there. So, I mean, yeah. the, the structure set up, just, you just need the SPV, the right. special purpose. Well, they found that loophole to really exploit, right? Creating the SPV. Yeah. It's so like let's they talk brought about, in like yeah. WorldCom and Enron's former auditors and they're like, how do we do this? Yeah. <laughs> Bring out the Jedi, <laughs> yeah, right? All the Jedi vehicles. Off balance sheet. Yeah. So this is, this but is. Wait, let, let me finish. Please. Real quick. I'm sorry. Let me finish. Oh. So ballpark estimate, 30, 35% decrease GDP Q2. Because in the first half of 2020, non-financial debt increased by $2.5 trillion, we started on July 1 with a non-financial debt to GDP ratio of 96%. And that's using first quarter GDP? That's Is using second quarter oh, GDP. Your estimate, okay. Second quarter it. GDP okay, through Q2 borrowing of okay. $2.5 trillion. Okay. 96% corporate debt to equity. That's what keeps Jay Powell up at night. Yeah. Well, I remember you always telling me Jay was a, a markets person. He looks at the corporate market. He looks at lending as the barometer. Um, so I guess maybe I wasn't as shocked when he brought out the idea of trying to extend money to the corporations when they're having that issue. But uh, never did we think he was going to buy corporate bonds. Um, again, it's, if there's a loophole, it's an SPV, they fund. Because Warren Buffett needs yeah. his help. Right, uh -huh. right. So, And uh, we talked about it at the onset, 2%. Uh, sub 2% yield in corporate bonds today. Um, and when Jay was asked about, well, you know, the, the lending's good because spreads were in. I mean, Sam's been quoting these for weeks to us, right? Spreads are at pre inside of pre-COVID levels or yeah. roughly at them. Um, why is he buying bonds at that point? If it's Why is he providing liquidity? And I heard the testimony in Congress. He said, well, the reason we're doing it is because we said we would. So is this a credibility thing? Is there something there? You, 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 you say loosely that the market goes down 10%, they'll buy stocks. What do you, what is your take on this violation of the 1933 Federal Reserve Act? I think they're trying to hold 
the whole picture together with the lowest hanging fruit that's the safest, that's not going to incur a loss. They're trying to keep the debt alive. R remind me why those things are called below investment grade as well that they're buying. Uh, don't they a little bit riskier? You know, but anyway, so continue well, your thoughts. Look, you know, but. There was, uh, on December the 31st, Morgan Stanley, you've seen this, said 40% of triple B rated debt does not warrant that was junk it. right yeah. was effectively junk right and I, you know i've got good friends inside the credit rating agencies who haven't slept in months i mean mm -hmm. it's it's a 24 7 downgrade operation mm -hmm. at these big credit rating yeah. agencies and not to mention also it's not just the underlying loans and bonds but also clos i think there's like a thousand tranches in the u.s that are on downgrade watch currently i mean oh gosh yeah i mean they must have the, the most ruthless job or the, the least amount of sleep but, uh, out there these but days. I think Powell's trying to hold together the seams of what Triple B used to be by forcing it back into investment grade post anything downgraded post March, March 22nd. 23rd, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think he's he's trying to not incur losses. He understands what he's doing is garbage. But I think he's trying to convince investors. This is a confidence game right now. Mm -hmm. He's trying to convince investors that he can keep the zombies alive if he can give them enough, uh, enough liquidity. But liquidity is never a cure for solvency. Liquidity it's, is it's never a cure for solvency, right. but it postpones it. Mm -hmm. So um, it's yeah, a, a commercial real estate is going to have to enter this discussion. We'll, at some we'll come point. to that. But let, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me continue that thought, but, too. But, because but again, he's not preventing the bankruptcies. Yeah. But that's that's what I was going to go to is that you talk about ex you just extending the inevitable, right? It's like right. the bad relationship. You just keep doing it. Right. But, but you're screwing creditors right. out of any kind of. Rec I mean, D Moody's took the recoveries down on 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 senior lien on on first liens to first lien bank lien, yeah. To I think fifty cents a few days ago. Yeah, I, we, we've always said that probably in this next crisis that the bank the first lien stuff will have significantly lower recoveries than, than the past. Second, There's the covenants and everything. Second the lien ones rate. might not even, even recover at all. Even recover yeah. at all. Right. Um, but you're talking about postponement. Haven't we been doing this not just for three months? Haven't we been doing this since 2008? Right? Oh. Haven't, I mean, isn't this been the whole game? You're talking well, about the confidence game. Think about B Bianco had, pre-COVID, Bianco had, what, 14% zombies? Yeah. And now they're 20. And the definition of zombies for our listeners. So you basically you don't make enough money to cover your interest. We yes. call that insolvent practically. Right? <laughs> yes, yeah. we do call that insolvent, <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, we? Yeah. Um, Jay Powell doesn't call it insolvent. No, no. He calls it problematic. Yeah. And so and, and so he's there. But but it's, it's just a matter of postponement. He yeah. cannot touch. He can't print jobs. He can't prevent covid fatalities. He can't print cash flow. We were talking about earnings season. I'm following top line much more closely than I am bottom these days. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got dividends being pulled left and right. I mean, cash is a serious issue. Cash flow is, I mean, we're going back to like business school stuff we learned about. We haven't been paying attention to revenues in years, yeah. but it's important now. Right. Before, well, I, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, before uh, we let you jump into the CRE and, you know, what some of the, the implications are there. I know we had you on the podcast last year. Uh-oh. I mean, uh, it was back in me. May. It, it's only a year. 
but it seems like more than a lifetime ago <laughs> now with all that's transpired. Remember when but, we were uh, all here in the David yeah. Rosenberg and we're all... Yeah, yeah we were in right. this room even. In this yeah, room, that's right. in, in a different world. Anyways. Yeah. But I think at that time you were fairly optimistic with uh, Powell. So now you fast forward you know, to, to July now. Well, how, how are you feeling about it? Did um, he do enough? Did he do too you know, much? In, in, it... in, so in yesterday's uh, premier valuetainment economics, plug, 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 yeah. interview <laughs> with, 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 with Jeffrey, he reminded me that that FDR walked into a calamity on his first day in office. I can't remember what what happened though. Shows what where my short-term memory is. But Jay Powell had a four-digit decline in the industrials on day one, February the fourth, two thousand eighteen. And he had a bad track record on all his FOMC speech days too, right? His yeah. FOMC speeches yeah. blew up. Yeah. His first congressional testimony, he said it's not it's not the Fed's job to backstop the stock market. And people are like, who is he? Yeah. I'm you know personally founded the j Powell fan club on twitter and i mean that got me more enemies than you can ever and then i had and we've we've made up since then well yeah. yes we have but <laughs> he can't let move 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 forced his hand move forced his hand on halloween 2018 period end and the thing that scares him the most is when issuance freezes because he's for, he will forever be scarred by 41 days of no junk bond issuance mm -hmm. forever mm -hmm. i mean it is it, it, it will be his that legacy. was like the it was that december of 18 is that right when that happened it was uh, like december and halloween early january. Yeah. general electric's debt was oh. downgraded november the 14th issuance closed okay it and it stayed 14. closed for 41 days subsequent to that okay so you have the bank of international settlement you have uh, all the collateral backing high yield ETFs was trading by appointment only. Redemptions mm -hmm. were going through the roof. Spreads were gapping out. International regulators were like, oh, we got a problem here. Move was going haywire. And Jay Powell had to realize that he was just one man. Yeah. I, I don't know if all of our listeners know what Move is. Ah, yes. Yeah, well, so they know VIX, but I don't think they know Move. You know? VIX has yeah. nothing yeah. on Move. Yeah. Move is south of 50. I mean, so move, move is the volatility index for bonds. That's what I was getting at too. Yes. Yeah. Move so a lot of people yeah. don't know that, and it's been it's been just there's been no volatility None. whatsoever. Zero. Right. And um, so, uh, continue your thought though. So, yeah. but, the, but but what we I mean his his legacy will be June, 2020, when you have bankruptcy filings at the highest level since 2009, and record high yield bond issuance. I mean, you couldn't yeah. come up with two stranger bedfellows if you tried, mm -hmm. and yet that's what he's accomplished. And I think the default rate on a trailing basic, I think it's according to me, is about 6% now, mid-sixes, and, so and still got, set to elevate. You you, know, you've right. got, I mean, again, the credit rating agencies are going 24-7. They can't keep up mm -hmm. because every time American Airlines blows out, you know, two billion dollars of, of, of fresh debt yeah. along with in the same exact press release we're going to fire 20,000 people and probably go bankrupt yeah. I mean it's like it's like right. hurts but well when you're pledging when you're pledging is the last thing you have as collateral is your frequent flyer program which I know we all <laughs> participate in right um, and it's dear to all of us and that's why they have it and they pledge as collateral were, American was you know. really happy to see me yeah yeah I'm oh yeah yeah <laughs> they're they, like yeah you haven't no. I'm not like, since February I, I will tell you they do call me almost every month too just to oh, check in yeah just, I get yeah how yeah, are you? Yeah, exactly. You're grandfathered yeah. in, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. Make sure your your status is protected for the I'm next like, three I'm years. I'm like, to get an under I'm not sure if yeah. you're going to be in business in three years. Non sequitur. Yeah. Yeah. Safest places in the world right now. Yeah. 
Their yeah, air, just traveled their, recently, air, so. their air filtration yeah. systems are second to none now. Yeah. So an airplane is a safe place to be. Yeah. And I sprayed down my plane, A-I-R-E. I don't know who owns the company. It's a spray. Uh -huh. I sprayed the guy sitting next to me. Yeah. I sprayed every surface. <laughs> yeah. I sprayed myself. Yeah. I sprayed the seatbelt. I sprayed the tray table. I sprayed everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a maybe that's a business to COVID be into. Paranoia. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, <laughs> that that's hilarious. Um, so we were talking about that. Um, let me just give you a, another thing we were talking about as 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 our debt team was looking at the American Airlines deal. You know, I mean, I think it it was like a 12 coupon or something, and you know, we couldn't get our minds around the risk. But um, anyway, um, the the joke was, well, what's the next thing they're going to pledge as collateral? Do they have some stale peanuts on the plane, right? Because <laughs> it's like, what's left unencumbered, you know? And that I think would, given, but I don't know if you Southwest with the peanuts, peanuts they don't have debt. <laughs> right, right. So maybe it is the peanuts were already pledged the first time and they were pulled <laughs> back. So um, in this peanut allergy world we have. So let, let's- uh, But American let's, is just like Wells Fargo, right? Because the next day United said, I'll, I'll see your 20000 and course. raise it to 36000 Right, and they'll also, and by the way, we're pledging our, our, our exactly. frequent flyer we're, program. We're also going to raise debt, yeah. and we're also going de to declare <laughs> bankruptcy That's in a little while. We'll be back. Yeah, yeah. it's on top of the bailout money they took out from the initial carers piece, right? Yeah, I, I mean, they're already, I mean, they're, they, they're, they're announcing that on September the 30th, when the bailout strings are cut, mm -hmm. they're going to lay off thousands yeah. of people. Well, they're going to have to. I mean, as you talked about before we jumped on here, they've got crowded planes. There's limited routes, but they've got to try to make money somehow, right? I mean, uh, my, my flight landed yeah. an hour early yeah. because they're still padding it as if there's like you, all the traffic. you're 25th in line for takeoff. Yeah. No, I mean, we backed right. up, took off, yeah. landed. Uh, I did fly uh, two weeks ago, and when I flew, we departed the gate 40 minutes early, <laughs> and we arrived an hour and a half early. So, <laughs> so um, that shows you how they are padded. But also well, remember, LAX is a very crowded airport most right. days, especially American Airlines. Right. They, they they run out of gate space. Well, just so. think of how their customer service yeah. surveys are going to look. You know, and yeah. they're on time to On time is going, great. Woo! Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> they, so they can sell that. They can collateralize. That. Collateralize our our, our <laughs> on time. I'm going to so. securitize that. Yeah. All right. So securitize. You've been chomping at the bit on CRE. Uh, it's the acronym that Sam used. Commercial real estate. So. Um, obviously, the heart of this crisis is hitting the leisure sector. CMBS has been exposed there. So CMBS, the commercial real estate market, had had a few challenges pre-COVID. We had the retail apocalypse that people have been talking right. about, the malls, the strip malls around the country, um, that you know the the online shopping impacting right. that. Then we've had the COVID. It was a slow train wreck. Yeah, that's a slow, and it still it still exists. And those were the problems. It's not slow anymore. No, no, it's 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 being accelerated. But I'm saying it's it's been for a long time. Right. Uh, it's been talked about since really 14 or 2014 or so. Then we have, you know, now the leisure sector yeah. that's getting hit. Those would be the hotels specifically. And I'm not even, yeah. I'm not even surprised about lodging. Yeah, no, I mean, and look, you're seeing that come back a fair amount until you get business travel back. That that's that's going to be no, a, a bombed I'll, out I'll, area. I'll, I'll give you my reason in just yeah. a minute. The okay. Why I'm not surprised. Anyways. Okay, and then lastly, you also have multifamily housing in there, or not lastly. One of the other things you have is multifamily housing due to forbearance. And then you also have the federal government in there with Fed, you know, the Freddie K's. There's a multifamily story. And then we also have office space, which people are extremely, extremely bearish on. So when we talk about commercial real estate, there's a lot of different arms that are problematic. Oh, yeah. There's still some very shining spots in there too, um, but let's let's kind of let's jump into that. So, so first of all, what do you think is the most problematic? Where do you think there's some decent um, kind of opportunities that people are overlooking to? I don't. As bad as, because TREP just came out, TREP, is, TREP follows the, the commercial real estate, the commercial market. Real estate yep. market. They do great commercial mortgage-backed securities data. Yep. 
So we use those for ripping apart cash flows and stuff. We, we're a subscriber. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so I guess 24.3% was June delinquency on, on lodging. Mm-hmm. And that was um, higher than retail, which was, I think, 18 or 19%. Yeah, but un- amazingly, multifamily, depending on the tiering of the collateral, if you actually look at it, the, what you've seen there is the tier one collateral actually has outperformed last year in, rec- in rent recoveries. Yep. But there's also payments being transferred. There's a lot of issues there. There's but- a multifamily story that's yeah. unfolding that nobody's paying attention to, I okay. think. But okay. first, lodging. Okay. Um, if, you, if you look at CMBS lodging, 50% of, CMBS, of the CMBS lodging universe is Full service. Mm-hmm. And what that, do you mean by full service? I mean nice hotels. Okay. Where you can get room service. Right. And they've been actually when when Jeffrey and I were speaking yesterday, uh, he brought up that in every town in America now there's a nice hotel. And and I said that's because private equity required it. They had too much money. So if there's one thing that we've seen in the past dozen years. It is an overbuilding of luxury hotels, hmm. full service hotels, an overbuilding of luxury apartment units in central business districts, which we didn't believe to be the case a year ago. Um, and I think that these two factors are, are not well enough appreciated. If you read companies' comments right now, whether it, any, any company that used to have business travel, I mean, these these budgets have been decimated, and it's going to take a long time, I think, because of this Zoom revolution, before treasurers find the wiggle room inside the budget to really release business spending again. Mm-hmm. So the implications for lodging liquidations, mm-hmm. I think, are tremendous. Yeah, we've seen we've seen some equity sponsors, pri- private equity sponsors. We call them equity sponsors because they typically are the, the right. borrower in the deal. But we've seen some step away recently, like big names step away. And they were exactly what you're talking about. It was the lodging that was targeted for short term. Right. Um, they're kind of short term rentals for folks who may be like a consultant spending oh, two yeah. or three weeks right. there. And so um, you saw them walk away. I think it was from like 11 properties in this one deal. They're, yeah. It's it's Jingle Mail. Remember Jingle Jing- Mail? Yeah, the, the keys, right? <laughs> it's yeah. Jingle Mail, yeah. but it's the GP who's but now we, mailing now, the mails. But now we don't have the keys. We have key cards in the room. Right. So I don't know. what We got to yeah. get something more it's clever there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I don't think people appreciate the supply side of the lodging story. I think it is an underappreciated. And the advent of single asset, single borrower paper. I mean, you had all these lobbyists, all these trade organizations, 20 of them, I think, send Powell and Mnuchin an open letter saying, we're gonna go bankrupt. And single asset, single borrower. I remember Tom Barracks was was authoring that very early on too, right? But Um, but this asset class didn't exist. And last year it was 47% of CMBS issuance. In single asset, single borrower is one massive property. That's mm-hmm. the whole CMBS. Yep, right. And that's why it's called single asset. The single borrower single means asset you and single borrower. that owns it. Right. But pensions, yeah. endowments, right. life insurance companies, I, inappropriate investors have piled into this asset class, kind of like they've piled into private debt. It's mm-hmm. like the darling of the, the pension management. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be in this new hot sector. And it's it's just wicked risky, right? So you called it wicked risky. Um, let's 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 unpackage that because if you think about what's happened too, the Fed hasn't supported that area. So Mm-mm. we've been uh, well, that's we've, what we're talking yeah, about it, right? Right? Yeah, exactly. And so 
would you say that you know these are markets that actually uh, really reflect the true risk out there, the things that aren't supported by the Fed, right? And that's what we've been arguing to our, not arguing, but that's been our investment thesis throughout this this pandemic is that look, I don't want to go and buy corporate bonds at two percent, mm -hmm. and I don't want to follow the Powell train. Right. What I want to do is go back to fundamental research and say, yep. look, here's intrinsic value, here's where this stuff trades, right. and we see assets like these actually are trading below fair value even if you bring on a massive right. crisis right? because you've got a bit ass spread that's like i don't even know what to make of that mm -hmm. i mean you can't you can't bring them chasm. together <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah. it's like junk bonds in the 90s or something where there's actual spread to be had because price discovery is occurs when the trade occurs that's right which is that i mean that's old-fashioned investing 101 yeah. but it's one of the few areas where I well think we all saw that in march i'll say that the trading was rough. I mean, uh, we aged a lot over those few weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. that was that was definitely a test over. Yeah. 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 Pre Powell, when when you had when you had the S and P limit down every day. Yep. I mean, as bad as it looked on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, in the bond pits, it was, it way was worse. bloody. Yeah, I was doing some analysis for someone too, and the short term corporate ETF that trades one to three year bonds, highly liquid. Yeah. You know, it's top top tier credit quality. Peak to trough drawdown in 10 days, those are 10 calendar days, yep. was 13%. And that is short duration, high quality investment grade corporate. So there was a problem, but why I bring this up is that you're talking about that chasm and, and that price discovery. Well, I would argue that we never got it in corporate bonds again. No. Everything traded in the same manner. And then all of a sudden with Superman Powell, as, as we've been calling him lately, yeah. you know, so it's, it's kind of the play on Super Mario, you know, oh, yeah. Draghi. So we got Super Powell. I call him J Po. J Po. J P O W, like a Powell or a P Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a lot of names for him. But um, uh, so anyway, um, what we found is that all of a sudden now, these other markets that don't have the support continue to trade in that manner that there is risk. Right. Right. And so what's an investor to do when looking in these? Uh, how do you access commercial real estate? I mean, again, you have to be an active manager that the ETF is it, the ETF looks nothing like what the, right. the true exposure is out there uh, because it's like super it's, high quality. But it's, it's still fascinating that yeah. it's within a hair of its 52 week high. Right. No, it's it, it I is. Mean, it's I, I agree. But also some of that stuff, Talfel, there's been the yeah, support yeah. program. Yeah, yeah, there is there is a slice of right. it that's got support. And that's why I distinguish between if you go back what what Powell allowed into Talf is conduit deals in the CMBS market, not single asset, single borrowers, right. because there was this perception that he'd be bailing out private equity, private equity, right? But if you just do it to the whole beta trade in the space, it's okay. So we've seen a huge and, gap and in pricing spent there too. $3 billion. We don't, we don't, we haven't seen the public data yet, but private equity spent $3 billion lobbying Congress, um, lobbying Steve Mnuchin mm -hmm. in the first quarter alone. So they've yeah. really been And I would trying. say that was probably over the last couple of weeks of that quarter, too, probably pretty right. significantly. Exactly. Right, exactly. So yeah. God knows what Q2 looks like. Right. But they've been really trying to get some coverage here because these deals are so bad. I right. mean, they're just so, and they're, they're like, but we put more equity in than we put in last cycle. And you're like, <laughs> it did still. Yeah. Still. So on that note, too, uh, before we got to dig in the other sectors of commercial real estate. But on that note, too, what about the moral hazard here? I mean, isn't it almost like Powell's picking winners and losers? Um, that this is, certain this is, this I is mean, pure credit allocation. Yeah. This 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 is this is it's exactly what you, you describe. He's God. Yeah, he's God in the world of credit right now. Yeah. He really is. Well, Masters of the Universe, we've been calling him Masters of the Universe. They used to be the hedge funds. Then we went to central bankers. Maybe he's the central banker hedge fund corporate god now, right? Ugh. Uh.
Yeah. I don't run the fan club anymore. Okay. Well, that's why I said we, 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 we've, we've gotten past that. So, yeah. um, okay, let's move on to the next leg. So you said you started with leisure, right? And lo- I'm lodging, I'm calling it, um, not leisure, but lodging. So I, I think um, we'll touch on retail for a second. Cool. 9,800 stores closed last year, and that was the worst year in history. The estimate for 2020 is 25,000 stores. Wow. The estimate for the next four years is 100,000 stores. So I think that commercial real estate developers Hmm. are going to be raising off the planet entire malls that are in choice locations in the next decade. Because Hmm. you're going to, people don't appreciate the magnitude, the number of, I mean, Simon Properties stepping away from, from its massive. $3.6 $3.6 billion merger um, because they were high-end malls that they were buying from Taubman Centers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was the, that was a moment. Yeah. And they're one of the largest owner-operators out there, right? Right. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, Microsoft, which paid 1000 a foot that was in only Class A malls, has announced it's closing all of its stores. Because we used to just talk about malls as Class B and Class C as being at risk. At risk. Yeah. Right. But you can go all the way up to stack. Yeah. Well, I can give you an anecdote. Um, uh, they, better I, not, they better reopen Neiman's, or I'm, yeah. I mean, or I will personally. Well, you're stop a Dallas woman. That's supporting you're, GDP. You're, you're a Dallas I'm woman. You got Marcus. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's yeah. that's the yes, the home yes. of it. Um, but uh, I will say, in my hometown of Santa Monica, there's a big mall there too. Class A, yeah. open air, yeah. high end, because they they revamped it maybe ten years ago to make it super high end. If you want to get bearish on the world, and remember, there was also looting that took place there. Oh yeah. Um, I walked through there. I went to get a haircut, so I would just walk through town and, and going through. And I'd say maybe 10 to 15% of businesses are open. There's a lot of boards because there was still damage still. Yeah. And this remember, this happened at the end of May, uh-huh. right? The looting did. And when you look at it, I just don't, you know, you want you want to get super bearish on a recovery of those type of things. I mean, just so, walk so, through so, it. So the BLS has, I, I, if, if, if you were to drop me on a desert island and say you can only have one spreadsheet, I'd say, okay, this is my spreadsheet. Yeah. It looks way, like, I got a lot of tabs. It, it looks like <laughs> it's it one looks spreadsheet with a exactly. lot of tabs. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like fruit stripe chewing gum yeah. from when you were growing up. Yeah, I remember All that. reds and greens and yellows. If you look at consumption in America, 75% of US GDP, the top 40% of income earners, the top two quintiles, mm-hmm. are responsible for 61% of US consumption, or if you prefer, 42% of US GDP. Okay. They're not spending. Or not. Gallup polls mm-hmm. um, showed that 41% of college degree holders uh, believe strongly in, in mask efficacy. 58% of postgraduate degree holders believed in mask efficacy. And these people are petrified and in their homes. And they're learning to not shop. This is, it's like, it's got to, it has to have been painful for a lot of people for a few months, mm-hmm. but their spending habits are changing. So I, I don't, as, as bad as the retail apocalypse is, I'm not so sure that it couldn't possibly be even worse than we can imagine. Okay. So that's retail. Okay. Well, let's go into um, office space. So office is interesting since bottoming in February, defaults are up about 39% in the office space. 
and everybody's like holding their breath because nothing's changed hands. Uh, but transaction volumes have absolutely crashed. Mm -hmm. If you look Q1 transaction volume, more, you know, Rich Hill at Morgan Stanley? Mm -hmm. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, he does a lot of good CRE work. Yeah, he yeah. does, yeah, a, yeah. and he yeah. does broad CRE work. Yeah. Four kids. Hi, Rich. <laughs> Anyways, um, best analyst on the street, but he's transaction volumes through Q1 and the fact that, that Green Street pricing, no, is it CPPA? Anyways, somebody's pricing has converged with residential pricing, a, a graph that he's been running forever. And, and you're talking pricing, like price per square foot. Price yeah. per square foot. Okay. And, and that's before we see Q2 transaction volumes, which mm -hmm. have got to be worse. Magnitudes, magnitudes worse. But, but, but pricing is going to come down. And but, but nobody knows by how much. Well, and also you're going to need more space probably if you're going to operate an office. You need the distancing. You need at least the distancing. For the, at least for the foreseeable future. Right? And that's that's the great debate, right? But thirty-three if, throughout North America, thirty-three percent of U.S. office space is in the twelve cities. This includes Canada that rely heavily on public transportation. 33% of office space. So uh, to, to see that delinquencies have only ticked up a little bit in the TREP data, I, I, I think we're at the beginning of that cycle. But I think price discovery is going to be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you're going to, for, for people who understand office, I think that, and have dry powder. I think that there will be some just historically amazing deals that get done on the cheap. Mm -hmm. yeah. And CMBX 12, by the way, has the highest exposure to office property. Office, right. Highest yeah. concentration yeah. of office. Nine's is, retail is, is and 12. 12 is office, yeah. yeah. Um, and you see massive, uh, we, we fall like the triple B minus of that, the tranche there to like kind of get a sense of market. I think at the wides, it, you know, uh, it was trading in price, but I think the spreads were about to 1200. Wow. They're back down to probably in the mid sixes today, 600s. Uh -huh. But um, that doesn't look very cheap there. Yeah. looks a little, little, little rich there. Yep. But but there is there probably will be some opportunity there, too. Um, and then uh, what do you, do you have a take on multifamily? You said you had a good so multifamily. Multifamily story. also had um, delinquency rates south of 4 percent and they're up 71 percent multifamily delinquencies. Um, everything that appealed to multifamily investors has been turned on its head. People don't want to get in an ele elevator and go up to their high-rise fancy apartment. Yeah. There's no re the retail store below you that you were shopping at is, isn't open isn't anymore. Open. Right, right. And, and if you're a millennial, all of a sudden commuting doesn't sound so bad and you don't have to even come into the office. Right. So the millennials will never move out to the suburbs narrative has been blown to bits right and and boomers wanting to move into the city and have an urban hip lifestyle because no bid <laughs> no bid anymore right 70s the new yeah. 80 yeah. so I, again i think that price discovery is going to be very interesting because according to costar 82 percent of multifamily constructed throughout the last cycle was luxury mm -hmm. and who's making the money yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed. Rent. I'm always amazed to see this uh, advertisement for a luxury apartment. I'm like, what's the luxury? It has a, it has like a washer and dryer in it. That's considered a luxury. Yeah. And you a know? granite countertop. Yeah. Woo. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, so on that note, let's transition that. So you, you kind of talk about this narrative of, 
perhaps maybe the millennials and the younger generations accepting suburbia or mm-hmm. at least non-urban centers. We what might have a baby boom. Yeah. What also think about this? What does it do for residential? Residential is fascinating. Yeah. So like single family. Fascinating. And by the way, again. the highest percentage of Americans missing rental payments. My new best friend, apartment something, because we're all watching these real time surveys of. That's the best data set there is. Purveyors that we've never heard of. But the highest number of non-payment among renters in July, single-family rental. So this darling asset class is being laid bare that they don't have rents that are anywhere near market pricing Mm -hmm. because the highest percentage of renters are are uh, unable to pay. Yeah. Uh, what do you think so the implications of, of the, um, I call it the anti-hotel movement, but the, the shared living, like the, the Airbnb is kind of how I think about it, not to get company specific, but what well, do you I'll think the impact of that is too? I, as people do I reflect Airbnb's future personally. Okay. Uh, my family's been vacationing in Destin, Florida, mm-hmm. which is like a 12 hour, after 12 hours, you kill a child. I, I, spent, I spent some time in Tallahassee, so Destin was a desirable place to leave Tallahassee okay. to go for it. So it's a 12 hour drive from Dallas. Every year we rent a penthouse um, top floor unit that'll hold all, all six of us and grandma. And, um, <laughs> and I will never rent there again. I'm not getting in an elevator and going up to ninth, the ninth floor unit. I'm renting another hour down, same beach, basically, but one more hour drive. A single Maybe another death of, of one of your family We might members. have to sacrifice a child. Yeah. Um, but a, a single family standalone on the water that I made sure reading the reviews is, is private and you're not on top of other people. That Airbnb owner's money good. Yep. The Airbnb person on the ninth floor, not so much. Mm-hmm. So it's going to depend, I think, on the actual unit and, by the way, how many mortgages these people are holding because it's... it's Right. We're going to find out some of that, too, I think. We're going to see the people who missed the travel because people didn't want to rent the Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Can they actually cover that nut of, of their payments, right? right. And that, that's the thing. Because some of these people continue. have five, six properties. Right. Because this was their retirement plan. This was like, right. look at this cash flow. Right. And it's like, oh, well, it takes care of itself. My rents and the amount I, I collect it's, covers all the payments. It sounds so good. Right. And so, so that's one cohort. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, on February the 19th, it's just the date sticks with me because it's when the market peaked. Um, February the 19th, Zillow released a report about the silver tsunami and how there was going to be this measured movement of Baby boomers retiring, selling their homes into the market. Mm-hmm. Millions and millions and millions of homes. It's a huge question mark overhanging the market because a decade ago, when you could have come up with the same hypothesis that the baby boomers are going to sell their homes because yeah. the market crashed and they want to make sure to get the equity out, but their homes are worth more now than they were a decade ago. Millennials actually might want to buy them, whereas they didn't last year. Mm-hmm. But it's a complete unknown when it's finally safe to have an open house. What the supply is going to look like between the Airbnb investors. Mm-hmm. It's about 12% of the market is these um, invest small investors. And it's, 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 I think it's a third of the market 
is 65 up. Okay. Wow. So we have had, I mean, the NARs, you know, they can roll out the same press release every month. The lack of supply is, yeah, is right. putting a floor under home prices. The lack of supply is putting a floor I don't think I've ever seen the NAR bearish even throughout the whole of course <laughs> the, not. The whole Of course that's, not. That's their industry. And that's I the have, National Association of Realtors. Have, I mean, I, have, I get hate mail when I yeah. talk about the silver tsunami. Yeah. Boomers aren't going to leave their homes. And like, what if they need to sell? Yeah. Well, they I guess can't, you could, they uh, can't you, stand the workforce another decade, which they could do. But what you a, could do a, a is you could ago. listen to Tom Selleck. He's the one selling you reverse mortgages. reverse mortgages. Yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. Sam, I got a question for you. Silver tsunami, is that alliterative? Because it's technically with a T, so is it phonetics? You don't look at the spelling, and then, yeah, I think the phonetics work, Is right? the phonetics is what drives Silver the, tsunami. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. so, right? S- Sam is our grammar expert around here, at least for, for a mathematician. That's he, good to know. I need to have someone help with my grammar. Which leaves us in pretty poor standing, yeah. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we do it. My editors yeah. sometimes tell me that I've got too much alliteration, and pull it back, Danielle. Yeah. You're really? writing about finance. Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, uh, acronyms and alliteration. Are oh, really yeah, things. it's so they're fun. It makes, um, makes writing fun. So we, we talked about that, that dynamic. Um, you know. So residential is a huge question mark. And uh, but let me put it this way. For core logic, for mm-hmm. any cheerleading type, of, it's their job to be cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in their job description to come out and say, in the year through May 2021, we're going to see home prices fall 6.6%. I mean, it's just enormous. Right. And you, again, you don't. But mortgage have, rates are at historic lows. They're always at historic lows. They're at three percent, and yeah. they really are at historic yeah, lows. Really that that affects falling, prepayments, yeah. but it doesn't affect affordability because you haven't had any price, price discovery. Too. Right. You haven't. You you have you have the people who had planned to move, and come hell or high water, they moved. Mm-hmm. So that's what this pent up huge demand is. And then you have the Mortgage Bankers Association telling you that credit availability is at a six year low. So, and if you look at the senior loan officer survey, I mean, yeah, they're tightening the lending standards. They're tightening the lending standards. And yeah. you also have to, have, by the way, have to have a job to get a mortgage. Yeah. There's and you kind of have to have a down asterisk. payment. There's no piggybacking loans. And, and yeah. jumbos are a train wreck. Yeah. Speaking to people in the, I mean, in, in Dallas, my buddy who's been in mortgage lending forever is like, now they're, t- internally, we're talking about a 25% down payment for jumbos. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it that's interesting considering that so many boomers live in really expensive homes. Right, right. No, I agree. So there's with you. there's yeah. for, there's dislocation to come. Yeah, well, we're definitely a jumbo market out here, and uh, it's you know if you want if you want good good rates, it is twenty five. Yes, I know. Minimum. People yeah. leave California, yeah. and they come to Dallas, right. and they think it's a bogo sale. Right. They're like, oh look, I can buy one and get one free. <laughs> so they knock them down and build a monster, and I'm like, Californians. Yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, why don't why isn't there a state income tax? And I'm right. like. Wait till you get that property tax bill and that double that bogo. That's right. Uh, right? It's a little little that's, higher out that's there. That's where it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But I, I would appreciate it if you did call it the Californians. You know, if you remember, like on the Saturday Night Live sketch, that, that was yes. always a clever one. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Well, uh, do we got the? Uh, do we got time to talk about uh, the election coming up? Of course. Or do we got some time for that? Because I know we started out talking about how politicized uh, the pandemic has become. Uh, well, this we was. Have, I mean, if I may dare say. And I'm, uh, yeah, I was raised in a very conservative Republican household. But in the history of American politics, the, 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 the magnitude of Trump's backfire on masks is going to go down in history. You maximize the efficacy of opening the economy by telling everybody, to, by making it a national... There were, there were some places in Germany where it was a 10,000 euro fine if you didn't, didn't have a mask on. 
and look at their open table. Mm-hmm. They're hopping in Munich. Yeah. So not he he could have he he could have gone out there with an Andrew Jackson mask on and his whole base would have followed him. Did I just say that out loud? I did. But but the point is he wanted to get the economy up and running so all the Republican governors reopened their states prematurely, and now it's sl- now he's going into an election with a deepening recession going into the third quarter, and 20.7 percent of Americans out of work. Mm-hmm. So, but this is of his doing, and I think that that's what that's why there's three political action committees that are Republicans. Mm-hmm that are trying to get out the vote for Biden. Yeah, I saw that too. There's Republicans voting against Trump is one of them too that came out too. They're using Reagan speeches and just putting all this calamity yeah. that he was describing back in, in 79 and 80 um, with the, it's yeah. juxtaposed with the current events and just- yeah, know, I mean, I don't know if you saw the Rubenstein um, Bloomberg interview with, with, um, with Mattis. No. It was excellent, yeah. by the way. Um, Mad Dog Mattis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was it, it took place right before COVID in an open auditorium full of people. So, But it was January or something mm-hmm. that it took place. And he was pressed. And he said, I will never say a single disparaging word about a sitting president, period, end. And he was adamant. Yeah. And when he wrote that op-ed, I think it was a moment in the Republican Party. Yeah. I think it was a moment in Republican Party history. And if if voters are as jeffrey said yesterday because i can't take credit if the if the u.s presidential election was to take place in 2021 there would be adequate time for a third party to rise there would be because because there are too many people who don't feel they have a choice on november the third right and there's there's nothing i mean people are equally disparaging of everybody inside the beltway yeah, I think the approval of Congress in general is like at, near the nadir. Right. It's like it's like twenty percent or something. Right. It, it traffics in that area. But the animosity inside of the Republican Party is is there. There's something very historic taking place right now. Do you think um, there's any chance that he's going to step out or just drop out of this race at this point in time? I mean, given the backdrop that we're talking about, I don't think it's outside the about. realm. I mean, you cannot ever rule anything out mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. You just you just can't. I mean, Peggy Noonan said it best. She wrote an op-ed about three weeks ago where she, she, she had a press conference, of the, a theoretical press conference of Trump saying, you don't deserve me, I'm out of here. I mean, that would be the way he would do it, I would think. Right. Yeah. right? I mean, it makes sense. Mike you don't deserve yeah. me for four more years, bye. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is it is amazing to see how you know, even the one issue voters are now starting to think a little bit differently right um and well look it's you, you you can't you you can't you you can't with with a straight face you can't say i'm going to sacrifice your mom right well, we've had the debate internally a lot where it's like we look at numbers all day long we're data people right, right. we look at analytics 
but a lot of this stuff doesn't hit home until you know somebody right right and then that bring makes it real and i always like yeah. that on the on the you know the sunday morning shows and stuff there's always some tribute at the end of the people who have passed away right. but that makes it real and that's the whole thing and so i mean my, when you my, just miss numbers and it's just numbers like oh it's right. you know, three million people got it whatever it's just just a flu and you talk to people and it's like it was horrific oh right? yeah yeah right and i so, mean look my 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 youngest lives and dies at the local burger stand. I mean, I live in a massive city, Dallas, but I also live in a tiny little community across the street from SMU University where you can walk everywhere. Mm -hmm. So a block and a half from my house, there's a little burger stand called Burger House. There was a man who worked there for 15 years. He knew my son by first name, mm -hmm. and my son's probably got high cholesterol at this point. Anyways, but he called him Johncito, Little mm -hmm. John. Yeah. And knew he was always giving extra tater tots. And 60 years old, I'm getting tears in my eyes, no comorbidities, inside 10 days dead. Health department shut down the burger stand. And, you know, there was this, there was this, the, the beautiful thing about America is we had a GoFundMe campaign within seven days mm -hmm. and raised a ton of money because uh, there was no, there was no money for a funeral and all this. Right. It's just, but, but when it hits home, yeah. you can't make it go away. Right. And you can't not be angry when you see the president at the podium with no mask on right. and, and people standing behind him with a mask on. You can't not be angry when it hits home. Yeah. Sam, didn't you mention to me today that uh, Dr. Fauci said that he hasn't spoken with the president in two months? In at least two months. So it's probably three or four months, right? Yeah. So. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's crazy. Um, and so let's talk about leadership. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what we're devoid of right here. And I think that's why we're struggling massively. Right. Um, how, how do we change it? I mean, does the election help? What, what, how do you I, put looking, on your hat and thinking about it? How do we get better leadership? I'm, I'm yeah. really looking at the midterms. Yeah. I mean, there are some very rational people in America right now who are talking about a third party. Mitch Daniels is involved in an organization. To, to give but one example, I'm going to try and look him up and find him and talk to him. Because I think that Americans are finished talking about a third party. I think the middle of America, mm -hmm. the middle of America, not the I want universal basic income and free Medicare and free health care <laughs> for life and a pony. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about hardworking middle income earners mm -hmm. in this country who have had it. And I think that it's going to be that cohort that can find the, the strength within and the tenacity because you ha this is huge it, 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 it all it all involves money yeah it all comes down to money you can get as angry as you want if you can't raise funds you're dead in the water mm -hmm. but i think that there might be a critical mass going into the midterms we, i think that the, I, my eyes on the midterms already so you're looking two years ahead is what you're saying yes yeah um you know when you you think about it too i, I think it's, it's important to recognize that we have cycles right mm -hmm. and you know we talked about the idea of this was building up there was divisiveness mm -hmm. and all it took was an economic misstep so you know yeah you think i mean about I, I get a tick in my eye when i think about the fourth turning i'm like oh gosh no, no they kind of nailed it right? right i mean you talk about nothing more prescient and that was written 20 years ago right, right? um and they talk about and you look at the cycles and so let's let's put on our hats and think about that so let's say we are in the fourth turning right where we actually get this change and you kind of see it from the gen z type of community you see them out marching very oh, yeah. more active um than let's say perhaps a lot of the millennials were um, i've got a gen z intern yeah. who yeah. like i think he's working 24 hours a day and i'm yeah. like 
you're an intern. I mean, this generation's insane. Yeah, no, it, it's it's like the opposite, but it fits right into that four into the oh, four yeah. cycles of, right. of of how those work before the turn. So, what does it look like? You know, are are we going to actually see that this year with some of that uh, materializing? And what does it look like? Because it usually takes some critical event. And I think we're we're gonna this is gonna be a line in the sand that we're gonna say you know March 2020. The world changed, or at least the U.S. changed significantly. Of course it did. Right? And when we're going to look back, what does that look like in your world? Like, what does the post-COVID world look like, this next turning? What does it look like? I mean, my oldest is 16, and I mean, I, so he'll, he'll, he'll vote in the midterms. And so this is, this, it's really personal at this point, but I, I, I think that if you combine the middle that I'm describing mm -hmm. with the generation behind the millennials, you're going to have allies there. Mm -hmm. okay. You're, you're, you're going to have alliances but that, there. But that's part of the whole, the book, right? The fourth turning yeah. too, is that it's the alternating generations, generations that get together. So it's like the Xers and the Zs, right? right. Us and the Zs, right? Together, and and right? the irony is that the boomers are relying on the millennials to right. sell their homes. And for, for all kinds of things, yeah. the boomers are relying on the millennials. Yeah. Um, but, and, and the animosity between those two generations is amazing right there's massive divisiveness there right so yeah. but but i people are like she's the most bearish she doesn't have anything nice to say about any asset class blah 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 blah, blah. i have great hope for younger americans yeah and well, what they can do for this economy i think i said it a couple podcasts ago and one of the guys on my team was like it was a great comment because they said you just don't short america the ingenuity the oh, entrepreneurialism yeah. We'll get through it. Yeah, right? I mean, it'll I mean, look different. But crushing we'll the crushing small businesses in America, leaving them behind, yeah. having the Fed choose the winners in the top one percent, right. and fiscal stimulus—it's it, the barbell approach and leaving out small forty-seven percent of American workers. I know they're were left business, behind. Yeah. Right. So, but and also don't forget. A lot of that is restaurants. It's the things we do what, for what entertainment. Was that, what was that Yelp survey? 53% of restaurants will not reopen. That's a huge number. Yeah. And it's a huge employing sector as well. Right. But you cannot have a phoenix rise if you don't burn it to the ground. And I think that applies to the economy. And I think that applies to politics in America. And I think it, you have to talk about the two of them together. Yeah. I think that's an awesome way to end it because I think that's perfect because sometimes, you know, they always say that it's darkest right before the dawn, right? That's right. And so we've got to get through that. So um, thank you, Danielle. It's awesome as always. I, I always learn a lot too. It's great just to have this banter. But before we let you leave, Sam has a favorite part of the show that he wants to introduce you to. Oh boy. And Danielle, that favorite part of my show, or the f my favorite part of that show. So and Sam probably is now hosting the Sherman <laughs> show. Note that. <laughs> That's great. He's been trying to quit his co-host. He's now the host. So thanks, uh, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I, I walked into that. But my favorite part of the show, and probably your least favorite part, oh is Sherman says. Oh boy. Uh, remember the Sherman says oh from before. Gosh, right. Oh so gosh, yes. for our listeners here who might be tuning I'm in for the West first time. time. My, my sleep is off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we'll give the rules of the road. It's um, I will offer a series of prompts alternating between you and Jeff Sherman here to which you'll provide a top of mind response. So I'm going to give the first one to Sherman with student visas. Disappearing and unfortunately. Danielle, school reopening. School's reopening. <laughs> Better happen for my four. 
for your sanity or for the sake of your children? For their safety. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Price discovery. Challenged. TikTok. I wish I could get it off my daughter's phone. The government might be helping The, go- me. the government <laughs> may, may <laughs> zap that soon. Yeah. yeah, I saw that they actually pulled out of um, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Yeah. Which is interesting in the, of itself in a number of ways. I think but, did uh, Australia, one major country, um, outlawed it. I don't. I don't know. Anyways, but yeah. it, I would. I wouldn't be shocked. If I it was follow Hong it Kong. closely yeah. because my daughter is TikTok. Well, anyways. I think. I think we could. We could do a whole episode on Hong Kong and China as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. Uh, South China Sea to Sherman. Next conflict. Invisible hand. Absent. I think it's a visible hand, and it's called J. <laughs> J. Powell. Yeah, the the big hand of J. Mental health. Critical. Volker. God. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I've got a pick or choose one here. Uh, phase two. Hopefully you're not talking about the trade deal there. Um, <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, though. Uh, this is supposed to be light. Um, phase two. Did we ever leave phase one? No. <laughs> you know, that's the whole thing, right? We, we yeah. still haven't had the right. intellectual right. property I know, I, discussion. I, I, I mean, in our, in our internal <laughs> Bloomberg chat with our macro folks, there was this big debate of like second wave, first wave. I'm like, let's just admit, like, we haven't controlled the first wave. No. It's like, no, oh, this is the second wave. I was like, doesn't matter. They both suck. How's yeah, exactly, that? Right? Exactly. You know, this, is, this isn't point break. You know, we're looking for the third wave. You know? <laughs> anyway, I watched Point Break recently. Yeah. Awesome movie. Hopefully, it's the original one. I did. I yeah. did. Yes. And the last one for Danielle is Godfather 3. History may forgive. <laughs> All right. Well, forget. those of you who don't know, uh, Danielle is a huge Godfather fan. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, she was rattling off quotes before we started. Yeah, today, I, so I, I can yeah. actually spend about an hour debating one or two, yeah. and I never can come to a conclusion. But three, we just want to forget, but you just can't. Three yeah, is right. an abomination. Yeah. Yeah. Three is an insult to one and two. It was kind of like Rocky Five to me. I was always that way with Rocky Five. And then I went back. My wife had never seen a Rocky movie. And this was like last Christmas. And I was like, we're, do- we're doing Rocky Marathon. So the Amazon package got them all. Yeah. Uh, I was like 20 bucks or something. Great investment, by the way. And Rocky Five wasn't that bad. When Which I went one was back five? Like, Remind me. Tommy was it Gunn. Tommy Gunn? Tommy Gunn. Oh, don't take him to the and streets. And so I'm like, yeah, he's like, you know, home team and yeah. everything. So yeah, uh, we, last yeah. last year at, in Florida, we took the Mission Impossible Five DVD set. Okay. Highly recommend. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen any of those, so I'm going to take your recommendation but there. But it's awesome. It's yeah. The whole family can enjoy. Okay. Yeah. All right. So noted. Uh, there's some good viewing out there. I know everybody's content starved. So that's ab- absolutely right. That's what we're using here. So again, thank you, Danielle. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. How can people get in touch with you? Let's do that before we lo- leave. Well, fo- follow me on Twitter okay. at Demartino Booth. Um, longest. Longest name out there. And then come to quillintelligence.com. And also Valuetainment Economics. How can people see that? Valuetainment Economics. So just find Valuetainment's YouTube channel, 2.4 million followers. Uh, Jeffrey Gunlack himself is going to be premiering with this whole new show that I'm going to be launching. So people have been asking me to sit in the interviewer seat, which is very intimidating. Um, But boy, do you learn things about people. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic. I remember when you were out here for our Roundtable Prime, and uh, 
that was uh, there, I did the most prep work I think I've ever done yep. and uh, for that one. So uh, it is, and again, it's just great to facilitate and this discussion. And, and so. I, one last plug about valuetainment yeah. economics, please. It is the opposite of the financial networks. I am on a financial literacy mission, yeah. and the, the the goal is to reach millions and millions and millions of people, and getting Jeffrey Gunlack to speak in plain English, which he did for 95 minutes. Um, that's the whole goal, is to spread the word and, and open financial literacy up to everybody. Right. The democratization of financialization, yep. right? So, all right, well, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Again, we can grab these uh, podcasts off of uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, whatever you use, Danielle. I'll be pumping yeah, it up pumping all over Pumping up Double Line's media. website, as always. Yep. Uh, you can follow us on the Twitter. Uh, we have at Sherman Show Pod. It's kind of long, too, on a little bit longer than yours, yep. but there's a few more words in there. So at Sherman Show Pod, uh, we'll do that. And uh, stay tuned for uh, more guests coming soon. So thanks again, Danielle. Thank you. The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefor, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2020 DoubleLine Capital.